I wanted tonight to follow up a little bit from the message this morning from Haggai where God was bringing encouragement to his people um, as they were on target to, to begin to again rebuild the temple. And there is encouragement that is given to them in Haggai 2 in the second of four sermons that he gave within four months. And uh, I think that the Lord, through Haggai, realized that there may be discouragement on the hearts of the people as they begin this work. There's just a small remnant that has come back to Jerusalem, and they have this daunting task of rebuilding the temple. They got waylaid, and they were disobedient, but uh, through the preaching and the exhortations of Haggai, they have begun to resume that work, but it could have been very discouraging, and I think the Lord knows that, of course, and he senses that, and he has Haggai to come and to encourage their hearts. Um, as I mentioned this morning, there would be those that would remember the first temple. They would be much older, but they could remember the glory and the splendor of Solomon's temple, and it was a glorious thing. But there is the encouragement that is given to them uh, to be reminded that God is yet with them. They might think, you know, this is nothing like the days that were before, where God's glory was manifest in the temple, and uh, is God with us now? And, and there's an encouragement to them that they are to go to work knowing that God is with them, and they need not fear because God is with them. And this is a theme that we find throughout the Bible, that God is with his people Graham's Gold, Goldsworthy wrote a book about God and his kingdom and kind of summarizes uh, themes that we find throughout the Bible that as we think of redemption, the history of redemption, he sums it up in this, that the, the goal is that there will be God's people uh, under God's rule in God's place. Um, Adam and Eve fell in the garden, uh, but God is restoring that where he will dwell with his people uh, and he will rule over them, and he will be their God, and they will be his people. And, and so this is this wonderful theme that we see throughout the Bible, that God is with his people. And when we get to Revelation 21 and 22, we see a new Jerusalem. We see there God dwelling with his people, the culmination of all of this history of redemption and John says, I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And there is this voice that says, behold, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be their God. But this has been the case for God's people throughout all the centuries, that God is with them. Um, and as we look at Psalm 139, I thought it would be good to look at this, um, not because it speaks about a baby in a womb, uh, and that, that's not why he chose this ult, uh, ultimately, but it's kind of a good week for that, but because we see the personal nature of God's intimate knowledge of his people. It's one thing to be God, God to be with his people, but we are given insight here that he knows them in a very personal, intimate way. He is their God. He knows his people. And this is to bring encouragement to us, because we can lose sight of that, can't we? When things are not going the way we would hope, 
when things are hard or things are difficult, we can lose our way. And yet, tonight we're just being reminded, I think, of things that we already know. And this is for the encouragement of God's people. Those who know the name of the Lord their God, they will put their trust in him. And so I hope it's just a, it's just a refresher course for us as we're reminded that as God has revealed himself, it is a means of encouragement as, as we see what he has revealed in his word. In Psalm 139 is written with some difficulties that David is facing. He talks about his enemies at the latter half of this chapter and things have maybe been rough and difficult for him. And he calls upon God to judge his enemies and the Lord will ultimately do that. But in this chapter, we have David revealing to us just by his own testimony, the personal care and presence of God with his people. This is a very literary masterpiece. It's full of great doctrine, theology, high and lofty truth. But it is very personal, a very personal prayer between David and his God. And as in many cases in the body, uh, in, the, in the Bible, we are able to listen in. Very thankful for that. We kind of eavesdrop on David as he converses with his God and speaks about who he is and He muses over the character of God and then responds back to this God and who he is. And I hope that, again, that we'll be encouraged with things that we already know tonight. David personalizes, first of all, God's omniscience in verses 1 to 6. He begins by saying, O Lord, Yahweh, the name that God had revealed himself to his people, he is the very self-existent God, no beginning, no ending, and he is, he is sufficient on nothing outside of himself. He is the self-sufficient, the eternal I am. And he says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. He has searched me, David says. He knows me. To be sure, he knows all things. We read in Isaiah 40 that the Lord knows the stars and knows them by name and brings them out, uh, the host of them. He knows the number of grains of sand in the earth. He knows all things. But here David says, he knows me. He knows me, not just in a general way but he knows me personally. He knows me. And these are the words of Jesus, aren't they, in John 10. The good shepherd knows his sheep. He knows them. And again, it's, it's not just knowledge. It is a personal, intimate knowledge of them. He knows his sheep. He loves his sheep. And David writes here in that way. And he has searched me. He's known me, and he, he, he has searched me, and he has known me. The word search here is a, it's a mining term. It's what you would do when you are digging for gold. And God has dug down deep, if you will, and he knows all about me. He knows me inside and out. And his searching eye of love in this psalm is the context of this covenant of grace that he has with his people he knows when I sit down. He knows when I rise up. 
on an average day, we're doing this a lot, aren't we? Um, and even in the mundane things of life, God knows us. God is with us. He, he knows when I sit down, when I rise up. You, you even understand my thought afar off. Even before I think it, Lord, you know, you know all about me. Um, and this, for David, is an encouraging thing. It should be also a sanctifying thing, shouldn't it? That God knows my very thought. Sometimes we think, again, that God's forgotten about us. But no, we're never off of his radar screen. He knows us. He's intimately acquainted with us. He knows everything about us. And he knows, again, our thought from afar. Um, and then we see that he, he comprehends my path, verse 3. He comprehends my path and my lying down. And, and he's acquainted with all of my ways. The term here, to comprehend, is a, a term that would be used of a farmer when he winnows his grain separates the chaff from the wheat, and there's this scrutiny. God knows us very personally, knows all about us. He knows my thoughts. He knows when I'm worrying. He knows my fears, but he comprehends my path, my lying down, and all of my ways. Spurgeon said, waking or sleeping, I am still observed of thee, by thee. I may leave thy path, but thou never leavest mine. I may sleep and forget thee, but thou dost never slumber nor fall into oblivion concerning thy creature. God is on his throne. He knows his people. He's intimately acquainted with them. Elsewhere, the psalmist says, behold, he who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. And David says, when I awake, I'm still with him. He's his thoughts are toward me, and I am still with him. He's acquainted with all of my ways. The New American translates this. He is intimately, he's intimately acquainted with all of my ways. That's very encouraging, is it not? And then he says in verse 4, There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. I've not even spoken the word, but Lord, you know me, and you know the words that I speak. You know me, again, in a very personal and intimate way. You know all of my ways. And he's overwhelmed by this as he thinks about this. In verse 6, such knowledge, it's it's too wonderful for me. It is high, and I, I cannot attain it. And so here is David understanding something of the fact that God is omniscient, and in his omniscience, he knows me. He knows me in a very intimate and personal way. And uh, I love the words of Job 23.10. The Lord knows the way that I take, and what? How does that finish? When he has tried me, I shall come forth as, as gold. When we walk through the fire, his purpose is to consume the dross and to bring forth gold. And so David, as well as Job, had this understanding. So God knows me. He's omniscient. But then David also personalized God's omnipresence. There's nowhere that I can ever get away from God. Verse 7, 
through 12. Where, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? There, there's nowhere to go. Remember Adam and Eve, they fled away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah thought he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord. There's nowhere that you can go that you could ever flee away from the presence of the Lord. And he goes on in the following verses to talk about that. If I go to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell or Sheol, the place of death, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. There's nowhere that I can get away from your presence. Your hand will lead me and guide me. Your right hand shall hold me. And if I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness, the light, are both alike to you. There is nowhere that I could ever go away from your presence. Even if I could travel at the speed of light and I could go to the farthest reaches of the sea and for the people of that day, the Mediterranean, to be on the other side of the Mediterranean would be to be far away. And uh, even if I could do that, I could never be out of your presence. You are the sovereign God and you are the one who... Um, I can never escape from your presence. And so he personalizes God's um, omniscience. He knows all about me. He personalizes God's omnipresence. And then he also personalizes God's sovereignty or God's power over his life in verses 13 through 18. He knows he is present and he has sovereign power over my life. He's working providentially in my life. Go back to verse 5. You have hedged me in behind and before, and you have laid your hand upon me. So here is this personal care, we might say, of God over him, his sovereign care over him. You've hedged me in. Do you remember Job when he spoke to the Lord and said, you know, look at your, look at, look at, uh, look at your servant Job. You know, the reason he serves you is just because you've hedged him in, you've protected him, and you've cared for him. So the Lord allows him to remove. The Lord allows these restraints, these hedging in to be removed. And uh, we know the story of Job. But, but here's that picture that he has hedged us in. His sovereign care for his people is over them. And uh, David understood that. Um, and that God knows all about me. God is sovereign over my life. And then we have in verses 13 to 15... Even when I was formed in the womb, even there, you were at work. You were the one who formed me in my mother's womb, verse 13. These are, these are beautiful verses, and these came home to me again this week as we went to the hospital and got to hold that little peanut. And uh, it, it's just a miracle when you think about a child. You know, all we've seen is a bump for nine months. And now this baby comes out, and you look at that little baby with the fingers, little fingers and little toes, and eyes and ear, and, you know, there's a little somebody in there. It's got a soul, and it's just overwhelming. It's, it's, a, it's a miracle. It's a, a glorious thing. And, and, you know, we think of our nation that allows 
people to put to death a baby in the womb of their mother. And even afterwards, we're headed in that direction. This is a precious gift that comes from God. And David says, you, you formed me when I was yet in my mother's womb. You're the one that wove me into my mother's womb. And I, I will praise you for I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works. And that my soul, it knows very well. And here it again, verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in, made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. What an amazing thing. God wove me in my mother's womb. God knew me there, David says, and God had a purpose for me, and God brought these things all about. And even there you saw me, you knew me, and you ordained the number of days that I live, would live before there was even one of them. Often I have reminded Bobby of that when I sit with her. She's, as you all know, had many, many years of pain, hardship, and difficulty. She's just a little shell of a lady now, and uh, I don't know she I don't know what she weighs, but not much. And she wonders sometimes, you know, why, why am I here? Why doesn't the Lord take me? And I just remind her, you know, Bobby, before there was one day, the Lord had numbered your days. And you have to trust him for that. But the Lord knows, and the Lord will bring about his purpose for you in the day in which he is ordained. And so there is this sovereignty that we see that God has over his people and uh, he has hedged them in. He's directing, guiding their life uh, from the very beginning. And as David again thinks about this, verse 17, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. You knew me in the womb, but even now your thoughts are toward me. How great is the sum of them if I should count them. They would be more in number than the sand when I awake, I'm still with thee. I don't know about you, but that's staggering to think about, that God would think about me in that way, that he knows me intimately. He has thoughts toward me. He has purposes toward me. Does it remind me of the words that we looked at a few weeks ago from Zephaniah, where the Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. And here David says, I am overwhelmed with this thought that, Lord, your thoughts are toward me. Psalm 8 says, what is man that thou art mindful of him? He's been elevated above all of the creation. But here it's even more personal. Your thoughts toward me. You know me. And if I could count the sum of them, they would be more than the sands of the sea. It's hard for us to even comprehend that it's staggering but as we think about this this is for our encouragement God is with his people one of the names associated with Christ is Emmanuel God with us and Christ has promised his spirit and he has promised to come and to live within us we are the temple of the Holy Spirit God with us and so these things are again meant to encourage us God has, throughout all the ages, been with his people. 
I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And as we think about that, we learn from David that this knowledge of our God is really of utmost importance. Those who know the name of the Lord, they'll put their trust in him. The more that we know about our God, the more we see reason to believe and trust and rest in him no matter what. And so we say with Job, though he slay me, what? Yet will I serve him. I still serve him. I know he's good. I know that all that he does is good, and, and I trust him. So the more we know about our God, the more we will trust him. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might, the rich man in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he knows me, says the Lord. He knows me. And so we can be thankful for that. But as we think about this knowledge that God has of us, it should also lead us to sanctification, shouldn't it? (laughs) He knows my thoughts. He knows my words before I even speak them. It should bring encouragement to us, but it also should be a means to sanctify us. Lord, you know me inside and out. You know all about me. And therefore, he concludes this, doesn't he? Search me and try me. Help me to know myself. Do a CAT scan of my soul and help me to know and see what's there that I'm lying to. Because, Lord, you really know me. My heart is deceitful left to itself. But, Lord, help me to know my heart and change me and make me more like Jesus Christ. And if we really do understand this, this will bring us to worship, won't it? The Lord knows me. And it will bring us to understand that he has dealt with us graciously in Christ. He has has done wonderful things for us, and it should lead us to, like David, be overwhelmed with this. This is is too wonderful for me. It's hard for me to comprehend this. It's too wonderful. Again, Spurgeon said, it is ever our wisdom to lay truth home to ourselves. How wonderful the contrast between the observer and the observed. Jehovah and me, yet this most intimate connection exists, and therein lies our hope. Let the reader sit still a while and try to real, uh, realize the two poles of this statement, the Lord and the puny poor man, and he will see much to admire and wonder at. And uh, we are thankful that God has known us from before the foundation of the world. And he knows his people, and such thoughts that lead us to worship. These are precious things for us. And again, may they bring comfort to us. And David, um, I think, sets forth a principle for us here. As we go through trials or difficulties, we just need to remind ourselves of things that we already know these truths about our God. We don't have to look somewhere else. We look to the word of God, and herein is our hope, our God. So Jeremiah says to return to the old paths, which we often have to do. When we've gotten away and prone to wonder, return to the old paths of what you know about your God, and therein will be our help. He is a present help in the time of trouble. And uh, so may God help us and enable us that we may so live. One last quote by Spurgeon. This should fill us with awe so that we sin not 
with courage so that we fear not and with delight so that we mourn not. And may God help us that we may think God's thoughts after him and think of who he is for us and the fact that he is in our midst, he is with us, and may that be a great encouragement to us. Any thoughts in closing tonight? Thankful in the verses that are just before that, uh, or the chapter right before 139, the last verse of chapter 138, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands, and he will not. He who began the good work in us, he will continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. All right, well, let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Lord, as we come to the end of this day, we pray that it has been a means of grace to us. It's been our privilege to open the word and to, Lord, hear your voice through your word. It's been our privilege to come to the Lord's table today and to remember the fact that you spared not your own son and you delivered him up for us all and if you would do that will you not with him also freely give us all things and we thank you that in the gospel you have given yourself to us you are the chief portion of our inheritance and we thank you for that we thank you that we look forward to a day when we will see um, a new Jerusalem as it were and Lord, you will, <clears throat> you will be in the midst of your people. You will be our God. We will be your people in a final consummation, and we thank you for that. Thank you for your intimate knowledge of us. May that be an encouragement and a help to us. And may we live in light of that to be encouraged, but also that we would seek to be sanctified through it. So search us, try us. And if there be any wicked way in us, Lord, remove it from us, and may we May we seek to live and go in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Go with us as we enter into this week. We pray your blessing upon it. May we honor you in all that we do and say. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Lord bless you. Have a good week.